You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Evil minds that plot destruction, sorcerer of death construction. In the fields of bodies burning. Machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Poisoning their brainwashed minds Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week, Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. Listen to analysis of local, national, international events. Listen to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia, courtesy of the Community Radio Network. This program comes to you from the studios of 3CR in Melbourne. My name's Joseph Toscano. I'm hosting today's program. The program is streaming on 3cr.org.au and the program is also podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. Warning. I've got a warning, a very serious warning. The Anarchist World this week is based on facts, not alternative facts. So if your universe is defined by alternative facts, turn on. Off the radio now, as continued listening may cause distress. Are you laughing? What serious? It's an amazing world, isn't it, the 21st century? An amazing world where we have gone back to the dark ages, where every belief um, has a form. Now, I'd like to start off with the plan. That's right, the plan. No, not my plan. Not your plan, not pr- the producer's, uh, Madam Kelly's plan, but the real plan, the most important plan in the world. Not the plan to deal with COVID-19. No, 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 that's a bit of a shambles, but we'll talk about that later on. Not the plan to eradicate poverty in this country or eradicate homeless and homelessness in this country. We don't want to do that. Not the plan to put this country's resources back in the hands of the uh, people? No, no. But the most important plan in the world, the re-election of the Morrison-led Liberal Party coalition. Whether you like it or not, there will be a federal election by May 2022. Under the constitutional arrangements, the election has to be called by May 2022. Now, Mr Morrison and his mealy-mouthed... Uh, colleagues were planning to go to an election later on this year, hoping that the vaccination rollout would have uh, been run smoothly. Obviously, it hasn't run smoothly, and there's a lot of issues. So they will attempt to go to the electorate later on in the year. Once vaccination rates have reached 80% and uh, many of the restrictions which are now imposed uh, will be rescinded. So that's the plan. But let's look deeper into the plan. Now, I've got, well, you can believe me or not, but there are deep throats 
in the Liberal National Party which passed me information. No, I made that up. <laughs> I made that up. But anybody with one synapse in you, Rain, knows the Liberal Party plan. All you've got to do is at the last election to see, you know, car parks, sporting fields. But this plan is much more devious and it has quite severe consequences for Australians. Now, the plan is based on three basic principles and these principles these principles are part and parcel of every plan fear divisiveness and alternative facts you like that fear divisiveness and alternative facts so the first part of the plan you've already been exposed to, the fact that we've taken a forward position in the battle against the Chinese Communist Party. Over the last 18 months, we've had a never-ending litany of complaints regarding the behaviour of the Chinese Communist Party. And this has had some economic ramifications, but more importantly, it's had some what are called geopolitical ramifications. So what Australia has done, it is actually, well, our government, you haven't done it, I haven't done it, but the Australian government led by Mr Morrison has done is elbowed its way out the front of this uh, mob saying, you know, get out of our, get out of our hair. That's right. Get out of our hair. Stop manipulating us. Now, whether the Chinese Communist Party is manipulating us or not is a matter for debate. But the fact that this country of 25 million people in the Southern Hemisphere thinks that not having a direct confrontational approach with China will be positive for the country, you know, is a little bit ludicrous. But it is positive for the re-election of the Liberal National Party. The Yellow Peril has been a fundamental element of Liberal National Party electoral propaganda for generations. But what we are seeing now is a more sophisticated form of the Yellow Peril. It's not one based specifically on race. It's one which is based, in their opinion between the great struggle between authoritarianism and non-authoritarianism. And they're the authoritarian ones and we're the non-authoritarian ones. And it's been very successful because in my line of uh, work, I meet a lot of people. I meet a lot of people from a lot of different uh, areas of society, doing many different jobs. People are unemployed, people are homeless... And I have been surprised by how quickly this fear factor has become a talking point among Australians. So that's the first aspect of the plan. Now, the second aspect of the plan is based around the findings of the International Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, which has delivered a report two weeks ago, which wasn't pleasant. They talked about Code Red for humanity, and I talked about business as usual for Australia. 
Now, some divisiveness is always good in an election campaign because if you can divide the community and pit one section against the other section of community, it improves your re-election chances. Now, we've seen campaigns based on refugees and asylum seekers. We've seen campaigns based around the intervention the federal government ordered before the uh, federal election, I think during the Howard regime. We've seen the campaign which has been launched before COVID-19 on uh, unemployed people, the leaners in society, you know, not the... uh, not the shifters, but the leaners, and the list goes on and on. Now, unfortunately, during COVID-19, it's not nice. It's not a good election strategy to divide the nation on the basis of race or occupation. But so what do you do? You create an artificial divide between regional and urban communities, regional, rural and urban Australians. And the agribusiness party, that's the national party, is leading this charge where it is claiming that any action that will be taken to address the climate change emergency will have dire consequences for regional Australians. And somehow there is a divide between the Chardonnay-sipping city dwellers and the international roast coffee drinkers in regional Australia. And they've been pushing this very heavily over the last few months. But the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change has heightened that talk of division and the National Party has even threatened to leave the coalition if the Liberal Party makes any efforts to address the issue of the climate emergency. So that's the second tactic. So the first tactic is fear and it's fear of China. The second tactic will be division. The division between rural and regional Australia and urban Australia as far as the actions which need to be taken regarding the climate emergency. Now, the third tactic, which is a regular tactic in any any electoral campaign, is misinformation. Misinformation. And we saw how misinformation was used to push the coalition government over the line at the last federal election when the Labor Party made some suggestions regarding some mild reforms uh, regarding negative gearing, it was turned on its head and it was used as an excuse to initiate a debate on death duties, removing people's pensions, and the list goes on and on. And Mr Palmer... One of, the, one of the ten richest people in this country, yes, he continues to be, you know, in the 200 richest Australians and still has a fortune in billions of dollars, was instrumental in using this information 
to push a huge number of votes towards the coalition which allowed them to be re-elected in many marginal seats. Now, we are already seeing the misinformation which has been put out by Mr Palmer, which is designed specifically not to alert Australians to any particular dangers, but to ensure that his empire, which is based to a significant degree on the fossil fuel industry, is not touched as far as any climate change legislation is concerned. So you've got the three, you know, the trifecta. You've got the fear campaign regarding China. You have the campaign regarding division between rural, regional and urban Australians. And you have the campaign regarding misinformation. Now, obviously, Mr Palmer has the same ideological position as the Liberal Party. The fact that he went on his own and formed his own political party, which, you know, may pick up 2 to 3%, is irrelevant. What's relevant, parties like Mr Palmer are there to ensure the Liberal National Party is re-elected. So considering the lacklustre performance of the Labor opposition under the current leadership and the fact that they want to have a small target uh, as far as the election is concerned, not understanding that it doesn't matter how small the target is, they will continue to be a target for the corporate-owned media as, as the election draws nearer. So they've got a plan, but we've got a plan. And our plan is to counter their plan. Unfortunately... They have a whole the Commonwealth bureaucracy behind them. They have corporate Australia behind them. They have the, the corporate-owned media behind them. They have their mates in the, in the corporate world behind them. The list goes on and on. While well, we have, basically, you, our listeners. But grassroots campaigns can be effective and they've been effective in many places around the world, and they continue to be effective. I mean, what they want us to think is that resistance is useless, that irrespective of all the allegations that have been made regarding the Liberal National Party over the last few years, they think that ultimately they will be able to be pushed over their line by pursuing this policy which is based on fear, misinformation and divisiveness. And if you think I'm kidding, as I said at the beginning of the program, we don't base the anarchist world this week on alternative facts, we base it on facts. And if you look at their performance before the last federal election and the federal election before that, you can actually see how these, this strategy has, been, has evolved over the years. Listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can access it by going to 3cr.org.au. Now, I've been a little bit amused by the cry of freedom. We've seen people go out into the streets and have a little bit of a tussle with the police 
using the slogan, freedom, 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 freedom. And I think to myself, are these protests about freedom from hunger? Freedom from want? I think to myself, what are these protests about? Now, obviously, there is a huge difference between an anarchist perspective and a libertarian perspective. Anarchism is about creating a society without rulers. And as I've said ad nauseum over the years, it's about creating what gives rulers powers, their ability to concentrate power and wealth. Libertarianism is about personal freedom. It's not about society. It's about personal freedom for the individual. Irrespective of the consequences for society or specific communities. It's about personal freedom for the individual. And we see this in the neoliberal philosophy which has guided successive governments in this country and around the world. And that's the freedom to exploit other people in order to maximise profits for a minority. And during the past 40 years, and I'm sorry to use the same words again, during the deregulation, privatisation, globalisation, uh, corporatisation, revolution or tsunami which has swept the world, we have seen the gap in income and the gaps in terms of exercise of power increase to such an extent that 40 years ago, for every dollar that an investor invested where they invested in a successful venture, one-third of any profit would go back to the investor and two-thirds would go back to the workers who created that profit. Forty years, wind the clock forward to 2021, and the equation has been reversed. Any profit which is made, two-thirds goes back to the investor and one-third goes back to the workers. And that has been as a consequence of a libertarian philosophy which is based on the freedom of the individual to do what they like to other people irrespective of the consequences to other people. So you don't see people who describe themselves as you know, anti-authoritarian or left-wing to a significant degree in these demonstrations. What you see is people who have the same neoliberal political ideology guiding these protests. It's no accident that the Liberal Democrats, a party which is based on libertarian principles, is one of the leading organisers in these protests. Because their liberty is a liberty which is based ultimately on satisfying their needs and their wants irrespective of the consequences to the rest of the community. That's not freedom, exploitation. So what do they want? Do they want the freedom to be able to strut around and infect other people? 
Is that the freedom they want? In no other sphere of human activity do we allow people to do things that have a negative consequence on other people. So think about, if you are involved in these protests, think about who you're supporting, what you're supporting, what it's all about. Is it onerous to wear a mask to protect other people from your spittle, which may have COVID-19? Obviously, there are many onerous restrictions which have been placed on the community and society. There are many economic and mental health issues related to lockdowns. And to a significant degree, we find ourselves in a situation where so-called leaders in our community, and I'm talking about the premiers, are really dreaming about COVID-19 because, see, COVID-19 is like any other thing that happens in the universe. Life is a balancing act. When I cross the road, I can stop, look left, right, left again and cross when it's safe to do so. When I cross the road, I can put a blindfold on and take me chances. And most likely I'm going to get skittled. I mean, life is a balancing act. And as vaccination rates increase, what we'll see is a push to open up the country. Because once everybody who wants to be vaccinated has been vaccinated, the pandemic, that the, the destruction that COVID-19 is going to cause is going to be among the unvaccinated. Because the vaccination is not about stopping COVID-19. COVID-19 is part of the human family and it will continue to be part of the human family until a cure is found. And vaccination is not a cure. All vaccination does is protect the individual and the people around them to some degree. It protects you from the worst excesses. Your body has a forward defence system, which is your immune system, and it can react to a virus which it has been exposed to via the vaccination process. So it's no accident that most of the people who are now dying or find themselves in hospital or intensive care in New South Wales are those who are not vaccinated or only received one dose. And it's no accident that we are seeing hundreds of thousands of people demanding to be vaccinated because people are beginning to understand that it's not just about protection for yourself and your family and your community. It's about opening up the the economy. It's about dealing with the mental health tsunami which we are now facing. It's about creating a climate in which life can get back to normal. What their normal is and what our normal is are two different things. Obviously, their normal is profit for profit's sake, consumption for consumption's sake. Our normal is reinitiating the struggle for egalitarianism, the struggle to devolve power and share wealth. But again, in the current climate, whether you're a neo-Nazi, an Islamic fundamentalist, a liberal democrat, a libertarian, an anarchist, COVID virus doesn't care. 
It's an equal opportunity employer. <laughs> it doesn't care. So it is having effect. But it is it is part of the human family. And I have to laugh. When I hear premiers like the Premier of West Australia and the Premier of Queensland, to a lesser degree the Premier of Victoria, talk about zero COVID-19. There will never be zero COVID-19. Hopefully through vaccination, it'll be manageable. People will be admitted to hospital. People will die. People will get sick. But it won't be in the huge numbers that occur when a population is not vaccinated. And just as importantly, all those people who have a philosophical, political, religious reason not to be vaccinated or a medical reason, there's a very small percentage of people that have a medical reason, the more of us that vaccinate, and I've had both my uh, vaccines, the more of us that vaccinate, the greater the protection for those who are unvaccinated. That's what herd immunity is about. Now, obviously, there is a possibility, and it's a slim possibility at this stage, that the virus could mutate and become much more, much more virulent and cause higher death rates in the unvaccinated. But at the same time, it's more likely as more people get vaccinated that the virus will mutate to such a degree that it will not be the problem it will not cause the problems it causes today. So life is a balancing act. Do you pay for food or do you pay the rent or the mortgage? Obviously, if push comes to shove, you're not going to pay for the rent and the mortgage. You're going to pay for food. It's that simple. Life is a balancing act. And COVID-19 may have temporarily uh, overcome that balancing act, but it is a balancing act. Listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. My name is Joseph Toscano. This program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. That's 3cr.org.au. The program is as a, is streaming on 3cr.org.au and streaming. Uh, it is also being broadcast across Australia, courtesy of the Community Radio Network. If you want to leave messages, 0439395489. Don't inundate me with stupid messages. I'm not interested. you got something interesting to say, leave a message. If you haven't, move on. You can write to us at Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. You can go to the Facebook page, um, info... Uh, Anarchist Age at Yahoo. Sorry, you can go to our website, anarchistage at yahoo.com. Or if you're interested in public interest before corporate interests, you can go to pipsy.net and have a look at the website there. You can uh, go to Facebook page, Joseph Toscano, and the list goes on and on. But ultimately, ultimately, we need to be very cautious. Very cautious regarding the information which is, you know, we see constantly, much of it being, you know, disseminated through bots, through social media. So I'm going to do a cautionary tale, a cautionary tale. Now, I've been involved in the care of people with spinal cord paralysis for over 40 years. And over the last 15 years, I've seen the growth of a new industry in the spinal cord field. Now, spinal cord injury is a devastating injury. 
One minute you're walking around, you've got a life in front of you, and the next minute you're paralysed. And that paralysis is permanent. If you've got a complete transection of the spinal cord, it's permanent. You can be a paraplegic, you can be a quadriplegic. Catastrophic moment in anybody's life. Catastrophic moment, and the great majority occur in an instant, whether it's a motor vehicle accident, a fall from a roof, you know, uh, an injury on the sporting field, and the list goes on and on. It's a catastrophic, sudden injury which has a significant impact on people's lives. And although I've been involved in the care of people with spinal cord injuries for over 40 years, I know from my experience there is no cure. End of story. But if I... If you find yourself in such a situation... You do tend to look for a cure. It's only natural that you tend to look for a cure. And there are people who are willing to exploit this. And if you go to the World Wide Web and you put up spinal cord cures, about 600 sites will pop up around the world. From Mexico to Germany, to Chile, and the list goes on and on. And for a fee, many of these sites, which are very professionally put together with great references, which lead nowhere, for a fee, $30,000, dollars $60,000, offer a cure for something which is, the consensus is, is incurable. So if you find yourself in that situation, it's only natural that you're going to have a look at what's available. Now, when you look at these sites that offer a cure to something which is incurable, you'll find that many of them are there just to make a buck, and you'll go there, and they claim they're injecting stem cells into your spinal cord when they're basically injecting water or something else. Some may believe they can offer a cure and people's reputations have been based on the fact that they've built up this so-called research which hasn't been peer-reviewed which offers a cure. Now it's the same in every other field of medicine whether it's cancer, whether it's COVID-19. It's very, 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 very easy to be seduced by glib arguments which are not peer-reviewed. And to a significant degree, much of the vaccine hesitancy that we've seen in the community has been created through sites which are spreading misinformation downright lies in many situations. And many of these sites, when you look at them closely, have actually been created through bots. And it's only a small number of people that are responsible for these sites. And then what's happened in the last three or four years is what we have seen is different political ideologies attaching themselves to these medical issues and somehow not wearing a mask 
or refusing to be vaccinated is some type of political statement about the fact that you're a free individual. When in reality, what you are is a threat to the rest of the community. So it's a cautionary tale. Now, you can ring me up and tell me I've looked at this site and I've done this and I've researched this. But the first thing I'm going to ask you is, do you actually know what you have looked at? Have you looked at the articles? Have you seen whether they've been published in any reputable publication? Do the people who claim to have qualifications have these qualifications? Who is responsible for that particular site? Is it being pushed by some particular, you know, libertarian ideology which is based on the concept of personal freedom irrespective of the consequences for everybody else? Because I said before, anarchism is about creating a society without rulers. It's not about not having rules. It's about sharing power and holding wealth in common and sharing wealth. That's what it's about because it's those inequalities which give people the ability to exploit billions of people. Think about it. Cautionary tale. Not everything, if it looks too good to be true, it's not true. Recently, sad to say, I had an acquaintance, wouldn't call him a friend, lose $85,000 on a scam on the internet. Didn't ask any advice, just went ahead and did it. There is no way they will be able to reclaim that $85,000 because once you've gone on the net, it's a different universe. So I said at the beginning of the program, this program, The Anarchist World This Week, is based on facts. I'll give you another example. The Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change has made certain dire warnings, okay? Now, most people have known about these dire warnings for over 30 years. And if you look at the literature and you look at you know, the work of activists, mainly on the left, you have seen this constant battle regarding claiming credibility regarding specific issues. Even now, if you go on the net, I am confident you will find some irrelevant scientist who thinks climate change is a hoax, that human beings have had no impact on the change of the climate, the, you know, the climate just changes. You will find those ideas. But as I said before, life is a balancing act. You need to balance your information and you need to balance your response. Now, I don't blame individuals for having different opinions. Now, I don't care if you've got a different opinion. But if that opinion has a negative impact on other people, well, then I'm quite happy, and most other people are quite happy, to call that out because that is the only way we'll be able to move forward. This is the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. Now, just in case, just in case you think, you think that listening to the anarchist world this week is going to change things. Oh, look, I'm going to disappoint you. I'm going to disappoint you. Listening to the anarchist world this week may change your opinion about certain things. It may force you to rethink certain views you have. 
it may open your eyes to, you know, things that are happening around us, but it's not going to change anything. I mean, I've been broadcasting this program for over 40 years and the impact I've had is minimal. And the impact anarchist organisations around this country have had is minimal. Marginal, to say the least. Change does not come from listening. Obviously, ideas are formulated from listening and reading and writing. But change does not come from listening. You can listen to the anarchist world this week, and I've had many listeners who've listened to this program for, you know, three or four decades. But it really hasn't changed the world. And it's not going to change the world. Change comes when we decide to come together to fight for issues. Not just specific issues, but major changes. So what are the changes an organisation I'm involved with, public interest before corporate interest, is interested in. Well, the first change is we like to put the interests of the public, that's the many, before the interests of the few. That's the private sector. Very simple, before corporate interests. Very simple, public interest before corporate The only problem is that in Australia in 2021, the word public means second rate. That's right. Second rate. And the so-called reforms, and the word reform means to make things better, but the so-called reforms that have occurred over the last 40 years regarding the public sector have actually downgraded the ability of the public sector to provide essential services through privatisation and degraded the ability of the public sector to provide public health and public education and public infrastructure through the privatisation of sections of the public service. So what's happened now is that most of the public service in this country is little more than an agency which directs private organisations to carry out its functions whether it's the Salvation Army or the Roman Catholic Church in terms of uh, providing services to people who have been exploited in this community. I never use the word needy, you know, exploited. Whether it's privatising many aspects of the public health sector, whether it's privatising many aspects of the public education and giving inordinate amounts of money to the private sector, to provide a service which the public sector was designed to provide. So through deregulation and privatisation, we have seen a change. And this change is not just dependent on privatisation. It is dependent on a much more astute corruption of the system, which is not based on monetary corruption, but a total corruption of the public system in order to line the pockets of their corporate mates. And it goes something like this. The perks of government. 
The perks of the Commonwealth Government are many. I mean, the Prime Minister is the only person who can call an election. Bingo. So he or she sets the date when they think they're going to win the race. But more importantly, during a particular government's tenure, they have some incredibly important appointments which they make, which have a profound impact on the community, which outlasts the length of time they spend in government. They appoint the judges, the federal court judges, the high court judges. The state governments appoint the judges, the magistrates, the judges, whether it's a magistrate's court, a county court, a supreme court. So what you do if you're in government, you tend to appoint not people based on merit, but people based on merit to some degree, but more importantly on their political allegiance. So you see a change in the attitudes which the judiciary has. Now, even more importantly, we have certain institutions which have not been able to be privatised because of the services they provide to the community and the resistance from the community to privatisation. And a example is when the Abbott-led government attempted to privatise Medicare, the resistance which occurred during that process. But they do have the power to appoint members of the board to these institutions, whether it's the Australian Broadcasting Corporation, where you appoint members of the board with a neoliberal perspective, whether it's the various universities where you appoint members of the board which reflect the ideology of the government of the day. And these appointments can be for life. It's a high court judge or a federal court judge and can be for an extended tenure, up to five years, I think, if it's for a board member in the Australian Broadcasting Corporation or one of the various universities around the country. So this is an extremely important power which governments have in terms of ensuring that their ideological agenda continues long after they have been removed from government. And what we've seen over the last 20 years is a refinement of the process where the public service and the federal police have now become arms of the government. They are not independent entities because the heads of these departments are political appointments. And these political appointments massage the public sector or the department they're responsible for or the federal police in such a way as to ensure that it's the government policies which continue ad nauseum even after that government has been removed from power. I'm not talking about the public service providing services, that's, in, that's within the legislative framework, but I'm actually talking about changing the phil- philosophical basis on which decisions are made. And nothing highlights this more than what's happening to refugees and asylum seekers in this country. Nothing highlights this more. And nothing highlights this more than the politicisation of the federal police. 
So these are exceptional powers which government have, which have lasting impacts on the community long after a particular government, a particular ideological perspective is removed from office, long after. So forget about branch stacking in the political parties. That's a minor issue. The major issue is stacking public authorities, public boards, public institutions and the judicial network with people of the same allegiance, political allegiance. It's no accident that almost uh, over 30 years after the Royal, Royal, the Hawke-led Hawke Government Royal Commission on Indigenous Deaths in Custody, that the actual incarceration rate has doubled and the death rate has doubled. It is no accident. When people talk about institutional bias, what they're talking about is about manipulating public institutions to deliver policies which are based on ideology, not practical consequences. You're listening to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. Now, if you think that you can change this by listening to The Anarchist World this week, you can't. You can't. All we can do... All I can do, as I'm the broadcaster, all I can do is highlight particular issues. Whether you take up these issues or not, whether you join established groups or form new groups, like public interest before corporate interest, to tackle these issues is the main game. Unfortunately, because of the rise and rise and rise and rise of alternative facts, in the universe, courtesy of the social media, it's becoming more and more difficult to concentrate on issues which cause the problems that we have in this country. Now, I know I say this every week, but <coughs> 25 million people living on a resource-rich continent shouldn't find themselves in this situation. We should have a universal basic income. We should have a well-funded public education sector. We should have essential infrastructure, you know, under public ownership. We should have a, a people's own bank. And the list goes on and on. We should have a decent healthcare system which can actually deal with health crises. But we don't because there's never any resources. And why are there never ever any resources? Well, to a significant degree because most corporations, large corporations, pay voluntary taxation in this country and those who suffer the taxation burden are individual taxpayers as well as small businesses. Think about it. Why should we create billionaires through the exploitation of this country's resources when that money could be used to fund a universal basic income? when that money could be used, those resources could be used to fund a decent public education sector, where that money could be used to tackle the climate emergency, where that money could be used to create a decent healthcare system which caters to the needs of everybody, not just those who have the money to buy the best healthcare money can buy.
So if you are interested in pursuing these issues, as I said before, listening to this program is a total waste of time unless you are willing to take action. There are many podcasts out there. There are many programs. There are many competing points of views. But the difference between the Anarchist Will this week and most other programs is that we're saying that ultimately you are the people we've been waiting for. We are the people we've been waiting for. You can't rely on religious leaders or political leaders or so-called, you know, new age gurus. It's about organisation. And that's why I'm involved with public interest before corporate interests and I encourage you to look at their website, pipsy.net, download the application form and join. Now, Afghanistan. Have you heard of the concept of Masood Dreaming Taliban Nightmare. I'm sure you haven't. Now, those of you who remember the invasion of uh, Afghanistan, I think it was in 2021, no, 2001, may have forgotten that the whole of Afghanistan had not been taken over by the Taliban, that there was one province... Panchia province, a very small province in the mountains north of Kabul, which had held out against the Taliban. And once again, in 2021, we are seeing that Panchia province is holding out against the Taliban takeover. Now, Amma, one of the prominent families in in Panjshir province is the Masood family and Ahmad Shah Masood was assassinated by Al-Qaeda just a few months before the Western invasion of Afghanistan. Now the people of Panjshir were incorporated into the new government and they've lived peacefully since. What's happened in the last two weeks is the people of Panjshir province under the leadership of Ahmed Shah's brother, Ahmed Wali, and Ahmed Shah's young son, Ahmad Masood, have been able to stop the Taliban from entering Panjshir province. How long they can hold out is difficult to say. Because obviously when the Taliban swept through Afghanistan, not only did they inherit a country, they inherited all those wonderful military supplies that the US and the coalition have left behind. Aircraft, helicopters, things you could only dream of if you're the Taliban. So keep an eye on this particular province because this may be the engine room to the, to the takeover by an Islamic fundamentalist organisation. And if you're wondering how come there's this ever-ending, never-ending screams of jihadists in the world, it's very simple. You are responsible. And you know why you're responsible? Because for generations we have been supporting the Saudi family which rules the Arabian Peninsula. And what does the Saudi family do? They make trillions of dollars from oil exports. And what... They belong to the Sunni sect. They belong to a particular subsect in the Sunni sect, the Wahhabis. And they have funded the madrasas, which are the 
education centres for young boys from poor families across the world, whether it's the Philippines, southern Thailand, whether it's uh, Afghanistan, Chechen province, and the list goes on and on. And that's why there's a never-ending stream of jihadists on the planet today. Not because of religious reasons, but significantly because of support by the Saudi royal family for the export of Wahhabi uh, Sunni Muslimism to the rest of the world. Very simple. You educate people in a particular way, and hey presto, the Taliban will never disappear. Although people in Afghanistan are beginning to understand what's going to happen, maybe, maybe there will be resistance, and that resistance will come from the younger generation. 65% of uh, people in Afghanistan are under 21. It may come from sections of civil society. It may come from sections of uh, the women's movement. So keep your eye on Panjia province in Afghanistan. Thank you for listening to the Anarchist World This Week broadcast, courtesy of the Community Radio Network. This program has been streaming on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. And if there's one thing you need to remember is you don't change the world by listening to the Anarchist World This Week. What it does, it gives you that impetus to become involved and start a real movement to change the world. Thank you once again for listening to the Anarchist World this week. A few websites, pipsy.net, download the application form. Anarchistage at yahoo.com. Facebook page, Joseph Toscano, Toscano for the Public. Or um, you can go to the Pipsy Facebook page, P-I-B-C-I. YouTube, Public Interest Before Corporate Interest. You can leave messages on 0439 395 489. Don't forget to send in those nominations for the Eureka Australia Medal. Send them via, you can either send them to info at anarchistage at yahoo.com, info at anarchistage at yahoo.com, or you can post them to Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. They need to be written down. Thank you once again for listening to the Anarchist World this week across Australia, north to south, east to west, in every state, courtesy of those fine folk at the Community Radio Network. This program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. And remember, hope springs internal for those people who understand democracy is not just about casting a ballot every three months. It's about participation at every level, whether it's political participation, cultural participation, it's participation at every level. Thank you once again for listening to the Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station. Plot destruction Sorcerer of death construction An analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist World this week. Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. 10am every Wednesday. Listen to the Anarchist World this week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national... So it's up to us, the people. We need a treaty in this country. We need the end to the war in this country. And the only way we can do that 
is through a peace treaty. Not the one you see in Victoria, not the one you see in Queensland, not the one you see in the Northern Territory, because they talk treaty and still lock our people up. They still kill our people. They still desecrate our land and our water. A treaty means peace. A treaty means equality. And a treaty means justice. Thank you. Subscribe to 3CR in 2021. Feed Radical Radio. Subscribe today. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 94198377. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.